All right, we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Finished up the uh, submission stuff last time. Yeah, well, I guess you're just not responsible for it then. <laughs> but last time we saw that the, uh, talking about the wives and the husbands and not the women and the men, but the wives and the husbands. What's that? We should teach it again. <laughs> But he moves on here now into, into that and says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, wives are to submit, but children are to obey. Wives are not to obey, they are to submit. Children are to obey. There's a difference. There's a difference in submission and a difference in obeying. Submission necessitates knowledge. Children do not know enough. Submission necessitates knowledge. I submit, when I walk into a place of submission, it is because I have knowledge of a thing that I submit my will to the will of another. But a child does not have that knowledge. Now, the Word of God tells us that we're to train up our children in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they don't depart from it. And as you raise up a child in the way of the Lord, then as their knowledge increases... They are no longer in the place of obey. And here's a transition that we have to do as parents. As parents, we must take ourselves and go from a place where we expect our children to obey and understand that they have come to a place of knowledge. And there are times that we need to see them operate in that knowledge and not just obey. We'll do what I said because I said so. That doesn't necessitate any, any knowledge. Just necessitates obedience. And so as a parent, we have to gradually wean them off of children obey to get them to a place where they learn to submit. And that's our transition. That's the thing that we have to do. So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. We label this section instruction to understand. We need to instruct to bring them to a place where they understand. Because children, the goal for them is to understand. And even as they're the, the real young ones, we just expect that there's some things we're just not going to explain to them because they're not going to get it. But we can't just always do that. There has to become a time that we begin to instruct and we begin to, begin to tell them why there is obedience or why there is this particular thing so that they come to understand. Otherwise, when they hit that place where they're no longer going to just obey, we have to make sure that they're ready for that, that transition. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Well, this is the right thing to do. And that's what you do. You do it in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the right thing to do. All right, well, I just need to obey here. May not be fun, but that's what we have to do. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Well, children may not understand why their parents make the decisions they do. How many times have we had that with our own parents? We didn't understand why they did the things they did, why they made those decisions, but they did them. But we're to honor them. Children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Well, there's a promise that came with that. And if you, you do so, you will live long on the earth is one thing. And besides that, it will be well with you. Amen. Now, what area of your life does it say it will be well with you? It doesn't. So what's that mean? 
All areas. <laughs> it will be well with you in all areas of your life if you do this. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. If you disgrace the decisions, you dishonor the decision maker. And so sometimes as children, we can go about, you know, our parents have made a decision. And how many times did we do this or were we tempted to do this? We're talking amongst the other kids and we dishonor our parents in our decision. And that's not a thing we're to do. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And um, I remember the Brother Hagin used to share the story of him and, and Ken. Uh, one of the times that he would, he would bring up this verse in some of the discipline that they would go on. And there's uh, one time when his uh, son, Ken Jr., disobeyed uh, something he was supposed to do. And he came to, to his dad and says, Dad, I, I want to live long. <laughs> and he corrected it. He made it right. <laughs> and so, uh, but he'd always brought them to this verse so they understood it. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Well, the promise doesn't come from the parents. The promise comes from God. We do this for, for God. Now, no matter where we are, we always honor our parents. We always need to be in a place with that. But it says that if you honor them, you walk in blessing. You'll be blessed in all that you do. Now, the other word here, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. The word there for well means good or prosperous. Amen. It means good or prosperous. And I already said this, in what area of life? All. All of them. All of them. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Now that we, we know this, I put these scriptures in here, we're not going to go over them. This is just in case anyone needed them. We are to paddle and to spank, despite what the, you know, is going on in this country and all that. We are to paddle. We are to spank. And there's some verses on, of Scripture on that. But a paddle without instruction becomes provocation. We can't just paddle. And this is where we get into, where some parents get into trouble. Of course, nobody parents here, but other parents, other places might do this. And uh, even our children, as they begin to grow up and begin to walk in this with their children... If you just paddle out of anger or paddle because the pain is supposed to be the punishment, then you're going to have problems when you can no longer inflict that paddle on that child. Because there are times that our children outgrow us. And you're not able to do the same thing that you're able to do physically. And so that's why you, know, you have that going on when they're younger. But there's always instruction. Should always be instruction. Parents should not just take them over their knee and just spank them real fast. First off, it's ineffective. I mean, prolong this, the, the thing. Drag it out. Don't just have it be over real fast. I mean, make this thing last for a little while. They know it's coming. How many times have you had that with your parents? <laughs> Where you knew it was coming, but it didn't come real fast. It just, you know, just... You know, Get it over. You go into your room and I'll be up in a little bit. You're sitting up there the whole time. Oh, man, it's going to come. And <laughs> Now, you need to have some instruction. And so there's times that before the paddling, before the spanking or whatever kind of discipline you're going to do, that there's instruction. Because if we ever paddle out of anger, then 
we've we've lost the instruction out of it. Sometimes you know the, you see I I see uh, you know in stores that you, you go out in grocery stores and stuff like that, and you see the mom or the dad out there with the child and they're out of control, and they just whop, go off and whop them. Well, there was no instruction. That's not going to help that child. It's not going to help that situation. And probably it's not the first time that it's been that way. And that's why they're at the grocery store with the kid out of control. There needs to be instruction. Fathers, and actually uh, it's, it's the parents here. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. There's a training that goes on. And we as parents are always to be in the training process of the children. The same way a coach is in the training process of a team or anyone else that's involved in training, there's a training that goes on. What is the end result that we want? All right, well, we need to do these things to, in order to get there, in order to have that, have that happen. So a paddle without instruction becomes provocation. And as, as fathers, as parents, that's not a thing we're to, we're to do. We're to help the children. So we've got to always remain in control. Moms and dads with the kids always remain in control. Don't relinquish control to the children. That's a bad situation. Don't relinquish that control. First off, you're the, you're the adult in the room. So act up. Act like it. Never say stuff to your kids that you don't mean to carry out. If you don't intend to ground them for a year, don't say you're going to. If you don't intend to take the cell phone away, don't threaten it. Whatever you say, whatever you say, this is what's going to happen, needs to happen. Because we teach our children that God's word, that God means the words that he speaks. But if we don't mean the words that we speak, then how are we teaching them that God means the words that he speaks? Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. God means what he says. Therefore, we need to mean what we say. Don't say it if you don't mean to do it. So be careful about the things that you say. Sometimes we just want to have the threat bring about the thing. And, you know, that may work for a time or two, but, you know, kids are smart. They figure it out. This is just a threat. They're not going to carry that out. I'm going to test them and see if that's going to happen this way. And then if it does, well, we can, you know, sweet talk our way back and, and we'll get the thing back. <laughs> no. If you grounded them for a week and they, uh, you know, come, they go on home and they do all the dishes and mow the lawn and, <laughs> and well, all right, we won't do that. No, I'm sorry. I grounded you for a week. Amen. Appreciate you doing all that. But uh, it's already been done. I already spoke that one. It's done. You're, you're grounded for a week. It's over. And we need to mean the things that we say because we're teaching them that things that are said don't always mean, aren't always the end result. So we have to make sure that we do that. Don't provoke your children. Don't throw out punishments that are not worthy of the crime. We just, you just don't want to do that. You know, there's some things you don't ground the child for a year for. You know, after a year, are you really learning anything anyway? <laughs> I mean, after about a week or two, I think that's about as far as they're going to probably remember. Now, we don't want to necessarily do that, do that. And there's other things that we can do that are certainly more creative than just uh, just spanking or just uh, uh, grounding or going to your room or stuff like that. There's, there's other things we find that the children enjoy, like, dislike, whatever it is. And you, you work on those kind of things. Don't, but just don't provoke. Don't do something to your children just to, well, I'm just going to get under their skin. They get under mine, I'm going to get under theirs. That's not what we need to do. We need to show them the love of God. We need to discipline them the way that 
our Father disciplines us. We need to speak to them as our Father speaks to us. Because we're that example. So then he goes on. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now bond servants or servants or uh, slaves and masters and such as depending on your translation and we all think well we're not slaves and masters anymore but we are employees and employers and bosses and so forth and we need to hear it in, in light of that because whether the person is, is bound in service or whether they are voluntarily doing it there is a service that's being provided so if you want to read it this way employees be obedient to those that are your bosses because it's just as applicable it's just as, as, as doable. Be obedient to those who are your bosses according to the flesh. Understand that a boss is your boss according to the flesh. They have jurisdiction over your flesh, not your spirit. If the boss says to you, mop the back room, guess what? Get the mop, back, mop the back room. They have jurisdiction over your flesh as long as you're there. If they say, look... Uh, Sunday's coming up and I need you here. So you're going to have to skip church and be here. They don't have jurisdiction over your spirit. You have jurisdiction over your flesh. Now there are some people, you know, some jobs that just have shifts that are over that. But don't let a boss get in there and start dictating your spiritual condition. That's not what the, the thing they're there to do. Now some people get on there and say, well, my boss then can't tell me not to witness at work. You're paid to work at work. Not witness at work. Make sure that when you're at work, you, you, uh, you work. If you find an opportunity to witness to somebody, then do so afterwards. You know, hey, can we get together for lunch? Can we get together after work, after the shift's over, and talk about some things? But while you're at work, work. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, that part with fear and trembling... I mean, should we go to work with fear and trembling? And really, there is no man that we should be in fear and trembling over, is there? But with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, in the same way that we have the admiration, respect, the fear, the trembling with Christ, because, you know, why do, why do we obey the Word of God? Why are we born again? Because we're in fear and trembling of being on the other side. We don't want to be on the other side that's going to hell. So, therefore, we're on the side of the righteous but don't just look at it as, uh, well, that's my boss. No, I'm doing this. Whatever I do here, I do unto Christ. And therefore, with fear and trembling, or in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. There needs to be a sincerity of heart. Don't just do this thing half-heartedly. Be sincere about your job. Put your all into it. Too often, people take a job. I hear people talking about this in, in places that I've worked at. They took a job. They were excited about the pay they were going to get. They did the job for a while. And then all of a sudden they decided, you know what? I'm working harder than they're paying me. <laughs> right? And that attitude can start to build. How many of you have ever been around a work environment that had that attitude? In the break room, they're always talking about, I'm working harder than they're paying me for. And then that begins to spread around. <laughs> and then what happens? Well, then we just need to back off a little bit and not work so hard. And, that, and that's just not what we ought to... We ought to do. When we're there to work, we work hard. 
I think I told you the story before, but you know Kelpsner's Horseradish, when I was used to work up there, uh, the, there were a lot of ladies who worked on the production line, and they hated it when I was not out on the road. <laughs> they, di- they didn't like it when I was in the production, because when I was in production, I made them all work. And they, got, they would get mad at me for it, because uh, when they were in production, they would uh, mix the cocktail sauce, you know, and they'd take forever, and everybody would be on break. While they're mixing the cocktail sauce, so every 30, 40 minutes, you have a 15-minute break while somebody made the cocktail sauce. And I saw that, and I thought, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. And so as soon as the cocktail sauce ran out, I immediately jumped to mixing up the next one. Now, they did like it because no one liked to mix cocktail sauce. And I didn't necessarily like to mix cocktail sauce, but I hated standing around and waiting for somebody else to do something. And so I grabbed the ketchup, and I grabbed all the barrels and stuff, and I just hoisted it all up there and mixed it. And before they could bottle up the rest of the or box up the rest of the bottles, I would have the next thing mixed and have that machine going, and no one stopped. <laughs> and they hated it. They hated it. My, my, the uh, the uh, guy who, I forget, the production manager, he used, to, he used to tell me, they hate it when you're in here. I says, I don't care. I can't stand to see them loafing around all the time. You pay them to work. And so we would, uh, he, he loved the attitude, and so sometimes they would all go and break. I hate breaks. I don't know about you, I've never worked at a single place that forced me to take a break. Because over there, they forced you to take a break at 10, or they recommended anyway, they didn't force us there. At 10 o'clock, you come in in the morning, at 10 o'clock, they have a 15-minute break, everybody go off to the break room and do whatever. And then they come on back at 10.15, they start up again, and then at 12 o'clock, they take a half-hour break for lunch, and then at 2 or 2.30, they take another 15-minute break, and then they would be done at, at the evening. I thought that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. Who in the world needs a break every two, two and a half hours? And so the production manager and me, we would run the production line through the break. Everybody else would go off to the break room. He and I would stay there, and we would run the entire machine, the two of us. And then they would all come all back afterwards. Everything is still going, so they just jump on in, and they would keep on going. And, um, and sometimes we even wanted to work through lunch just to keep that thing going. We set records. Every time he knew I was off the road, we would, we would eye out, can we hit a record today? Do we have enough stuff in there? And then we would just set out, we're going to hit a record. What's our record? What's our mark? How many did we make before? And we would just go out there and, and do that. Now, I never looked at how much did they pay me. I looked at what needed to be done. And, you know, I just was a nut gorking around there. I would jump over countertops because they would have, you know, sometimes instead of going around a thing, I just, why waste the time? And I would jump over. They would have, you ever see those uh, Acme? You go with the Acme and they have those uh, conveyor belt things. Well, they used them for their, for their production line. I'd just jump over them because I didn't want to go all the way around the thing, so I would just hop between and go back and forth. I was definitely, well, I didn't have anybody else around me there. Yeah, I was uh, the Board of Health or whoever it was. Yes. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have liked that a whole lot. But I'll tell you, we got some stuff done. <laughs> we got some stuff done. But, um, but you, we're not there to look at... How much are they paying me? We're looking at, I'm doing this unto God. Am I working as hard as I can because I'm working unto God? That's what we have to do. And that's what we have to, to look to. So you work hard. You put your all into it. And then you let, the, you let God take care of you from there. They'll, they'll promote you. They'll bless you. Bonuses will come your way. Other people will get fired and say, we can't fire that one. We need them around. <laughs> And, you, and you'll get rewarded in other places, in other ways. And so you just keep doing your work heartily as to the Lord, rather than from men. Knowing that from the Lord, as the Word of God tells us, you will receive the reward of your inheritance. 
Well, as we said, according to the flesh, bosses have no say in spiritual matters. Now, he says, not, a, not as the eye service. There's a lot of times people want to work and they want to you know, always look busy. Ever see those movies they have out and everybody looks busy? And the boss comes by and everybody's quickly doing something, answering phones. No one's on the other end, but they're answering phones or typing stuff. And, but that's eye service. But God sees that. He says, no, don't do it on eye service. Work hard. Put your all into it. Work hard. For Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. He's the one who does it. But he doesn't do it because you do something for eye service. You, you work as unto the Lord. And even though this is, this is your boss, they're your boss according to the flesh. You do the things in the flesh that they need to have done. They're not the boss over your spirit. Don't let them, don't let them do, don't let them cross that road. I'll tell you what. How many times we've seen people try and cross over in areas where they should not be, and uh, if you let them, then they'll do it. You know, I had, a, I've had a couple of jobs, and I've never been in a in a job that demanded that I work on Sunday. I, you know, you get into the health profession, you get into some other ones, and things go on on Sunday, and I understand that. You know, some places are there and that work has to go on on Sunday. But I was never in a place where it demanded it. I work in a couple of restaurants. They were open on Sunday. But I told them right off the bat, I'm not available. And uh, I think uh, uh, I helped for that for, for the whole day on Sunday. And then after a while, I wasn't, um, uh, when I was out at Rayma, I didn't have a car to go anywhere. So um, I, w- I walked to the church I was at in the, in the morning. It was only about a mile away. But they didn't have evening services, so there was no place for me to go in the evening. So I did come to them at one point and said, look, if you're really hard up, I'll work for you on Sunday night. But I will not work on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I'm out of here. Now, that didn't mean that they didn't ask me. It didn't mean that they didn't have a hard, hard time and a hard thing. But as soon as you give in on one time, then what happens from there on out? Well, you did it before. <laughs> so I just said, no, I can't do it on Sunday morning. I, I'm over in church on Sunday morning. And so I just always went to church on Sunday morning. But Sunday night, if they got in a hard time spot and, and I didn't have a place to go. Now, eventually, I got a car towards the end of going to Rama, And uh, I was going over to Grace. And over at Grace, they had Sunday night services. So, see ya. <laughs> so I was over in uh, Sunday morning over at Grace. And then Sunday night over at Grace. And I didn't work there at all on Sundays after that. I had other places to go. I had places I, I could go and do stuff. I figured I gave them Friday and Saturday on the weekend. Every weekend, it wasn't just some, it was every weekend. They had me Friday night, they had me Saturday, every single weekend. I'm going to have every Sunday off. So I had every Sunday off. And they didn't argue, but I, I did have to, to lay that down. So just understand, they will try and step into areas where they shouldn't be and just, just draw the line. Say, no, I'm not going to do this. But, um, you know, give where you can. Help out where you can. Goes, uh, goes good for you elsewhere. Let's read that again here. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers. We're not here just to please men because we're serving God. When we have a job, even though we're getting paid, we are serving God. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. And this means that you firmly believe in the thing that you're doing. You firmly believe in whatever it is that you do. Whatever it is that you do, it's the best thing in the world. 
You know, when I, when I made pizza for Ken's Pizza, Ken's Pizza was the best pizza in the world. There was no pizza better. That was the best pizza. This is where everybody should go and get it. And we were the best restaurant out of all the Ken's Pizzas that there was. And I, I firmly believe that. If you want to have pizza, my, my restaurant was the best one to go to. I just believe that. I believe that when I worked for Kelsner's, that was the best horseradish in the world. I didn't particularly like horseradish when I started working there. I did eventually develop some kind of a taste for it, but I didn't like it at the time. But from the heart, I'll tell you what, I believe that this is the best, and then I had to go out and sell it. And we should do that. You know, whatever we're going to do, we're, we're working for the best place in the world, and God's going to bless it. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service. Goodwill there means loyal enthusiasm. You should have loyal enthusiasm for the place that you work. Put that in there. Well, I don't particularly like it. It doesn't matter whether you like that place or not. You're doing it as unto God. Serve God. Let them see the difference between you and, and someone else. You, you put that thing on. You have enthusiasm with it. I remember Ken Spitz's reaction when I first started working there. Uh, no one talked to me about it for a little while, but after many weeks, someone, uh, one of the waitresses finally came up to me and said, you know, we thought you were on speed when you started working here. <laughs> we knew you went to Rama, that you're a Rama student, but we really thought you were on speed because of the way that I came in and worked. I was, in, I was enthusiastic. I was, uh, of course, you know, I just, everything I do is fast. I just didn't have slow. Just whatever I did was fast and I really appreciated working around there. It was the first time in a while I had worked in a place, and there were about you know four or five guys who just had a really high motor. And I tell you, Friday nights were fun. We got four or five of those guys all in there, and we all have this high motor, all in, you know, working intensely. Oh, it was Friday. I look forward to Friday nights. Oh, we're going to make some pizzas tonight. <laughs> we're going to we're going to put out some pizzas. People are going to be coming in. We're going to be taking care of things, and we got excited about it. About pizza. I mean, if you can get excited about pizza, come on. Get excited about your job. Show enthusiasm. He says there, have that, have that loyal enthusiasm for that. This is what the Word of God has commanded us to do. Have loyal enthusiasm for the thing that you do. But what, what the devil likes to try and do, what the enemy likes to try and do, is he begins to sow inside of us where they're taking advantage of you. Where they're not really treating you right. It doesn't matter. You do it unto God. You let God treat them right. When Jacob was cheated on his wages, what did God do? He changed how the blessing was coming. And no matter how his boss tried to change the wages, Jacob said, God still bless me. I remember the, we've talked about it a number of times, but when Jeff and Chris Hickson were here talking about their job, I loved how they talked about their job. And you know, you would never know from talking to them that they ever had a single problem with their job. Because they always talk very highly of it. But, um, you know, I know they face some, some things in their, their job, but they would always say no matter what decision, and they would name their company, no matter what decision they make, it will benefit the Hicksons. And I would tell you what, it worked out that way. Now, they, they told me about it a number of times. Well, we didn't know exactly how this one was going to benefit the Hicksons. <laughs> it didn't look good. But eventually it came around that it benefited the Hicksons. Glory to God. We can have that confession. We can, we can talk like that because God is the one we work for and God is going to make sure that blessings come our way. And if that place of employment refuses to do so, then God's going to bring someone else along who's going to see, wow, look at how they are working at a Starbucks. If they work like this at a Starbucks, imagine what they would do in my place. 
You can be over there just working hard at a Starbucks and somebody come on in for coffee and say, I've been watching you for the last couple of weeks. I've never seen anybody work like you are. I want to offer you a job right now. And God will do that. God will bring people along into your, into your path and, and have things like that go on. But not if you're moping around. Well, as soon as I get a job that's worthwhile, I'll work hard. No. No. Get on in there and you work hard for the thing that you, that you do. You put your all into it. Because if you do, God will bless you. God will bless you. He will, he will make sure that whatever it is, is is seen, is done. And you'll stand out amongst wherever it is that you go. Well, he goes on. Verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from who? From the Lord. Whether he is slave or free. Don't make any difference. Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. So stop talking about how your employer is not paying you enough. Because you will receive the same from who? From the Lord. You can just walk around and say, Father God, you see how hard I work, you see what I do, I thank you that you pay well. I thank you for that you give good bonuses. I thank you that you're working on my behalf. And, and God will do it. You don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. But all kinds of things could have, could have been going on behind the scenes. They could have been talking about closing an entire store. But you're there. Well, you know, if we do that, uh, we, we need to keep this going. Because look at how well this person, this one person is able to keep this whole thing going. As long as they're there, let's just keep that store open. You don't even know what that's going on. And all kinds of matter of people are being blessed because of you being there. So you just stay with it. Because people are going to see you. People are going to come. What was that? I'm trying to think who, who told that one story. Um, it was probably either Creflo Dollar or maybe it was Keith. Keith Moore. But one of them told the story of a guy who had a job and uh, got laid off. And he'd been confessing all the time that he was going to have increase in his job and increase and so forth. And he got laid off. No job. And so he just said, well, then that, you know, God's just going to double my salary. Was it Keith Moore? God's going to double my salary. Wherever he is. So he's out there looking for a job. God's going to double, double my salary. He, for some reason, he just went on into a place, coffee place and, and sat on down to, to get something while he was uh, mapping out where he was going to go. And someone was in there who saw him. They knew each other. Ended up. Uh, offered him, you're looking for a job? We got a job down over here. Why don't you come on down here and apply? He applied, got a job that paid, I think, twice as much as he was making before. God, know how do you know to walk into that coffee shop at that particular time? Well, God just arranges the things that way. He just directs your, your steps because he saw the effort that you put in. God, just keep on going back. Don't sit there and say, oh, God, you said you would reward me. I'm not getting anything. That's bad. That's not faith. Faith is, Father God, I thank you that you are rewarding me for the effort that I am putting out. I thank you that you said right here, whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. I thank you that as much good as I put into my place of employment, you are giving the same back to me. Don't say, well, I look forward to that day happen. No, you are. You are doing it right now. I thank you, Father, for, for doing that right now. And then you just keep on going into work and you just put in more good because you're going to get more back. And you go into the same place of employment and you put in more good. And you get more back. And you put in more good. 
and you get more back. God will bless you. God will bless you. And, and you can just say, you know, the whole time you're out there, whatever it is that you do, whatever you put your hand to will be successful. Whatever you do will be successful. You're going out there and you do it. You just push hard on it. And God will help you out. Now, when I took over the, the, the route over at Kelsters, I did, uh, I did the local route. And, um, you know, I did okay with it. I was, everybody was happy. Everybody was doing everybody's service and everybody good. And I did that for a year. But, you know, sales weren't necessarily going through the roof. They just were kind of holding steady. And, uh, but they had, a, uh, they had the shore run. And the shore run has a, they, they got a guy in there before. And the guy was not doing real well. There were beer bottles in the car, in the truck. He was not seeing people when they were supposed to be seen. They liked regularity. It wasn't happening. And they were in danger of losing a lot of people. So they said, we can't just put a new rookie out there. Would you consider taking over the shore route? I took over the shore route, prayed about it. And God says, yeah, go ahead and do it. And, oh, I'll tell you what, I'm so glad. Some of the best years working, going down to the, getting paid to go down to the shore. Can you imagine that? And somebody pays your gas to go down to the shore. Drive down to the shore every week during the summer. And then stay overnight. Glory to God. Ah, oh, it was good. I just had a good time doing it. Um, but there was an area that Amy told me. They said, there's an area we're concerned with about it. You see, you, uh, we need you, we're going to need you to sell some products. You haven't really sold a whole lot of new products in the year that you've been over there doing this. We're going to need you to do that. Now, we just need you to sell the new products. Now, going on down there, it's a, it's a full route. And they told me it was a full route. That we don't need you to expand it, but we'll need you to sell some, some new stuff. So I got on down there, and something just finally snapped in me. And so we started selling some stuff, and I took a full route and doubled it. And so we gave it back to them. You know, it was a two-day route when I had it. I gave it back to them. They put two guys on it. It took them four, four days to finish it off. For the whole summer, they had it. Four days, two guys to do it up. So when I came back after a year off, I came on back to them, and then I got a lot more sales experience in the places I was at before. Came on back, and they said, look, it's, uh, you need to take more than, more than two days. You can have more time than that. So they gave me uh, uh, the four days that they were already using. So now I have four days to go on down there. And they actually gave me a whole extra area in there. Long Beach Island was put in there. So I had four days to do all that. And we grew it all up and doubled it again. And God just would bless it. Wherever I would go, things were happening. When I came back on that thing, I think it was, I forget the time period. I used to know it. It was something like two years. If I walked into a store... All I had to do was walk into the store. They were a new customer. Every single new place I found that I walked into, every single one took our stuff. For two years, whatever it was, I think it was about two years, about it finally reached one that I couldn't get past. <laughs> finally got one that I, it was first no that I couldn't overcome. One guy was on Long Beach Island. I walked on in. He told me six times, no, I don't need your stuff. Well, what's all right? How about this stuff over here? No, I don't need... Well, how about this stuff over here? Eventually left the store and then got another idea. Oh, I didn't try and sell them this. So I drove on back to the store. I went on back in and said, how about this? You know what? I could use that. How about if we take a little bit of your stuff? We'll try it out. We'll see how it goes. And so we did that. He ended up being the second largest stop on the island. They just, he started taking stuff, and then he was excited, and more and more of his stuff came on over to our stuff. And, uh, oh, it was, it was good. God just blessed it. But eventually somebody said no. <laughs> it was just a small, little, tiny, rinky-dink store. It wasn't really a big deal. 
I was even thinking about not going to it, but, you know, I've run out of places to go. There's no other places really to go, so I went on in there, and they said no, and I said, ah, that's okay. I don't even think I would have wanted to stop here anyway, because <laughs> I, was, I was busy. We were, doing, we were doing stuff, but God blessed it. God would bless. Now, you see, the thing is, I wasn't paid commission, and it would be really easy for me to get focused on this thing. Well, they're not paying me commission. It's not, there's no real sense of me selling all this stuff and doing all this stuff. But you know what? You do it unto God, and God blesses you. God will bless you. Don't ever compare your work to your wage. Don't ever do that. Work as unto God. Every job you do, you work as unto God. You let the wage take care of itself. Doesn't mean you can't ask for a raise. Not saying that. You can ask for a raise. You can do things like that because you're worth the worth the money, but don't ever let it in your head because it changes things. If in your head you start beginning to think, well, I'm not being paid enough to do that. Don't do that. It'll change the way you're going and you're no longer working unto the Lord. You're working unto men. And that'll, that'll ruin the whole thing. Don't do it. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, are you anyone? You will receive the same from the Lord, not from the employer, whether he is slave or free. And you masters or bosses, do the same thing. Some of you are or will soon be bosses. Do the same things to them. Giving up threatening. How many times have we seen in the movies? You know, the threatening bosses, the nasty bosses. Don't be one of those. Knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. As our master is in heaven with us, so are we to be with others. That's how, how good of a boss you ought to be. So bosses and masters do the same thing unto them. What is good is good for all. What is good is good for all. Now, here's the thing. Knowing, let's read this verse. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven and there is no partiality with him. There is no partiality with him. That does not mean no favoritism. As a boss, you can have favorites. Who, as a boss, are your favorites going to be? The productive people, right? As a boss, your favorite people are going to be the ones that are productive. The ones that when you call them in, show up. The ones that when you call them in, help the shift out. So if you, as the boss have an opportunity to call in some other employees and hand out some more money, who are you going to call? Favorites. You're going to start off with your, with your hit list. Well, if I'm, uh, you know, so-and-so is not here yet, so-and-so is not here, and if I'm going to have anybody in, I'd rather have one of those two in, I'll call them first. Because the ones that are lazy, the ones who have a hard time getting them to do anything, you want to call them in? No. Well, that's not... It says, there is no partiality with Him. There is no partiality with God. You've got to understand this in the realm of the whole context. This does not mean that, well, if I'm going to call somebody in, I need to spread it around equally so there's no partiality. Hogwash! That's not how God does it. What does God say? To whom who has more, more will be given. To him who is faithful with a little will be given more. To him who is not faithful with a little, will be given less. Or what he has will be taken away. 
So you're not faithful. The job you have, take it away. You are faithful. The job you have, we'll add to it. That's what they'll do. They'll keep going with it. You know, I've had a number of employers and for every single one of them, every one, I have worked overtime. I pass 40 hours usually by Wednesday. I've always worked overtime. And no one complained about it. You know what happens in overtime? Time and a half. They're paying you more money. I worked hard enough that they decided that paying me time and a half was better than someone else. So if it came on Saturday weekends and the shift is short and we need somebody, I wanted them to make sure you don't hesitate to call. Even if I'm in overtime. I want you to call me up because I'll get paid time and a half. <laughs> time and a half is good. I like time and a half. Time and a half. You know, if you're getting paid $10 an hour, $15 an hour is better. <laughs> that's, that's, for, I was, that's in the ballpark I was making in those uh, kind of places, but more is better. So it does not mean no favoritism. As a boss, you can have favorites. But whatever is right is right for everyone. Whatever is wrong is wrong for everyone. If you have it that, well, all right, that's, you can't do that, but you can. That's wrong. That's showing partiality. And that's not what we're supposed to do. So if it's wrong to take a break every hour, then it's wrong for everybody. If it's wrong to show up late for work, then it's wrong for everybody. You can't have partiality that way. That's what he's talking about. God rewards those who are faithful most. He does not reward all equally. Now, what we're learning here in this, in this place is the power of, a, of exemplify. They're putting this part, this section, exemplify to testify. Through our example of obedience to God's word, we testify of the necessity of obedience. Through our example of obedience to God's word, we testify of the necessity of obedience. We need to be the example. We need to be the example as parents. We need to be the example as employees. We need to be the example as bosses. We live to exemplify because what we exemplify testifies. We testify of our God. When I exemplify a godly worker on the job, I testify about my God. When I exemplify how God the Father loves His children to my children, I exemplify to my children what God is, who God is. I exemplify to testify. There's no good to sit there and talk about how good my God is, how faithful my God is, how uh, all these things about my God, if I don't exemplify the things that I testify about. I've got to have that exemplified. Through our response in correcting disobedience, we testify of God's character and forgiving sin. How I respond in correcting disobedience. When my children disobey, when an employee disobeys, how I respond in correcting disobedience, I testify of God's character and forgiving sin. So as a boss, my employees who know that I am a God-fearing person... I am testifying of my God about how I correct disobedience with them. 
I'm a, I'm a living testimony. I'm exemplifying those things through my response. Through our quickness to repent of our sin, we testify of God's character to love a sinner. As a boss, I need to be quick to repent of my sin. As a parent, I need to be quick to repent of my sin. Because in being quick to repent, I testify about who God is. I testify about how God forgives sinners. About God corrects us. I'm a testif- testifying for that. So we exemplify to testify. Mark Twain once said this, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. We need to be good examples. We need to testify. We need to let the life that we have, the, exempli- the, the example that we put out, testify of our God. And must remember all the time, my example is testifying about my God. My example is testifying about my God. Now, here's the other way you can go. You can go in a way to exemplify, to testify, or you can go in a way to magnify, to fortify. When we magnify the sin in others, we fortify in them a couple of things. When we magnify the sin in others, we fortify in them a wrong image of themselves and God. If I magnify the sin of others, I don't exemplify the way that God forgives. If I magnify the sin in others, if I magnify the sin in my children, if I magnify the sin in an employee, I fortify in them a wrong image of themselves and a wrong image of God. I also fortify in them a strong image of their faults. We have to make sure that we are not out there to magnify. We're out there to exemplify. I am here to exemplify my God, not to magnify their sins, not to magnify what's going on in them. Now, here's some word images for you. In John chapter 8, they were in your outline. There was no room. I had to cut them out. So they're in mine. <laughs> there, was a, uh, there was a woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And her accusers came. And what did they try and do? They tried to magnify her sin. What did Jesus do? He exemplified the forgiving power of God. They came and they tried to magnify. Look what she did. We caught her in the very act. And Jesus exemplified the forgiving power of God. You who are without sin, cast the first stone. As God has forgiven you, you should forgive others. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He is exemplifying what He wants us to do. He is living an example of it. And that's how we need to to go. He's gone through the wilderness. He went through that time with God. He came out of there. He was tempted of the devil. And He exemplified how we are to go through temptation. Using the Word of God. David fell into sin. And Nathan came calling. Nathan had a story. Nathan told the story. David responded, This man shall die. (laughs) And Nathan said, David, you're the man. You're the man. However, God's going to forgive you. (laughs) But David immediately, immediately repented. Yes, yeah, I am the man. You're right. Oh, yes, I'm right. See, he was quick. At that point, now, of course, it had been going on for a little while. 
<laughs> but when it was finally uh, approached to him, and Nathan finally, you know, here it is. Yeah, that was me. He's exemplifying that repentance. And that's what we need to do. We need to exemplify these kind of things. David exemplified that he was repenting. And when that was happening, Nathan wasn't trying to magnify the sin. He pointed it out. Now, once it was pointed out, all right, fine. It's done. This is going to be the end result. This is where it's going to go, but that'll be it. Have a David's response to Saul. Saul's trying to magnify a problem that's not there with David. He's, trying to, he's out there trying to seize the throne. He's out there trying to he's point out all these things. And David's not. David's been given the throne by God, but he's not going to seize it. He won't do it. So Saul's out to magnify, but David's out to exemplify. And so when David comes across Saul two times, he spares him. Because he's out to exemplify. When David with his men, the 600 men that he had, he exemplified things with, with God. He exemplified these kind of things. And it's, oh, that's what we've got to do. Look at the way his men served David. It's because of the example that they saw. Uh, when, when our kids were growing up, I think particularly Christian, he, he liked this. But there was this movie, I'm trying to think, it was a middle, um, medieval movie. Uh, it was a comedy sort of uh, jousting and all this sort of stuff. Um, I cannot think of the name of the movie. Uh, nice Tale. That sounds like it's it. Uh, and it was, so I've seen most of the movie. I think I, I, I've seen probably most of the different parts of the movie. But there's one part of the movie that stuck out with me. And that was when the star of the movie, it was whatever night that he was. I don't know what his name was. It was a real long name. Um, when he was uh, facing one of the princes, apparently what the common thing was back then that they, if a prince was in there, uh, well, you just, you just bowed out and you let the prince go on. And so it was uh, the uh, Prince Edward. There we go. Prince Edward, uh, one of the big up. Big up. He, was, he was up there. And so um, he saw him there. And he says, wait a minute. If the prince wants to be in the fight, then him means he wants to fight. He wants to fight. He wants to fight. I know. I'm going to go on down there. And so he uh, he dipped his his uh, thing and he went on out there and they they fought. And the the prince was impressed that he fought when other variables would just bow out of the thing. And uh, I remember the, the uh, somehow he got hurt. I think in that particular battle he got hurt. And so he came up to him and he says, "Look, I said I've never not finished. Remember this scene. This scene was really good. I've never not finished. Is it okay if?" If we just kind of go through the motions here, but we don't actually throw the javelins at it. Well, however, they, whatever he said, that's what he meant to them. And so they, they did that. And as they got closer to each other, they took the, the points and they pointed them up in the air. And so uh, people all in the audience, the bad guy in the movie, he said, he shows mercy. That's his weakness. That's his weakness. Well, they said all that to get all the way to the end of the movie. The end of the movie, he gets exposed that he's not a real knight. And so he gets put into the whatever they the, the the shackles or the you know he's put out there and they're throwing apples and tomatoes and all that sort of stuff stocks thank you and all that stuff all that nasty stuff at him because he's not a knight and he's been di- disgraced even though he was winning battle after battle after battle after battle after battle after battle no one could touch him but now he's he's no good and so the Prince Edward guy came up to him and he I love the words that he spoke to the guy he came on up to him and he said. If all I knew about you was how your men looked at you, 
that's all I knew, then I know what kind of leader you are. That's all I know. They said, beside that, I know that you are a man who tilts when he shouldn't. And you're a man who shows mercy when you don't have to. I'm paraphrasing, I'm sure, but you know, I don't have the thing memorized. It's something like that. And so he gets up and he, he gets him out of the shackles and he knights him right there. But he's not knighted under the name of the one that he usurped. He's knighted under his own name. And he goes in to face the bad guy. Knighted under his own name. But I love the way that the prince came on out there and said, this is what I needed. This is what I see in you. That's knight behavior. That's knight behavior. Are we walking the way Christians should walk? Are people looking at us and say, that's Christian behavior. What I think of as a Christian, that's it. I look at the way that they work, whether the boss is around, whether they're not. I look at the way that they lead. I look at how they are as a boss. And they're kind and they're merciful. They exemplify. They don't magnify. They don't magnify my faults. They exemplify how I should go. They exemplify how their God is. That's how we, we need to be. And that's how David was with Saul. I forget where I found this, but I'll read this to you. A boss creates fear. A leader creates confidence. A boss creates fear. A leader creates confidence. Bossism creates resentment. Leadership breeds enthusiasm. A boss says, I. A leader says, we. I'll tell you what, that's one of the things. There's probably only one president in my entire lifetime. I actually look forward to his his speeches. That was Reagan. When Reagan would get up, there was never an I. It was always we. We Americans. We can get out of this. We can dig ourselves. It was always we. Every time he spoke, it was we. There was never a time he sat there and pointed fingers at who was the f- who was the blame, who was at fault. It was always, here's the vision. Here's where we're going to go and we can get there. The boss says, I. A leader says we. A boss fixes blame. A leader fixes mistakes. A boss knows how. A leader shows how. Bossism makes work drudgery. Leadership makes work interesting. A boss relies on authority. A leader relies on cooperation. A boss drives. A leader leads. One commentator noted that you can tell what a man's relationship with God, relations with God are by looking at his relations with his fellow men. If a man is at variance with his fellow man, if he is quarrelsome, competitive, argumentative, troublemaking creature, he may be a diligent church attender. He may even be a church office bearer, but he is not a man of God. If a man is, a dis- is distant from his fellow man, it is good proof that he is distant from God. If he is de- divided from his fellow man, he is divided from God. We exemplify what we think about our God. And we are to go into this world 
and be those examples. We are not to magnify the faults, the blames, and so forth on others. We are to go out there and be an example. We are to work in wherever it is that we work as if we are doing it for God. We are to work not because of the wage that we get paid, but because of the way that our God rewards us. That's how we are to go about things. And that is very different from the way the world does. And you will stand out. And people will take note. What is it that makes you work like this? What is it that drives you in this way? And we can talk about it. <laughs> it's my God. I serve my God. When I come to work, I serve my God. And He's the one who rewards me. And they look at you and they see that you're happy and you're at peace. And what boss can pay you that? None, but our God can. Our God can. These are how we are to order our behavior. As bosses, as employers, as children. This is how we order our behavior. How are we doing? Are we exemplifying? Or are we magnifying? What is it that we do? And as we are exemplifying, what is it that we are, people, what kind of example are people seeing? Do we go around talking about I, 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 or do we go around talking about we, we, we? We all can do this. We all can go here. What is it that we do? Certainly it will help you. Remember Mark Twain, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Be that good example. Be everything that you can be. Get out there. Father God, I am at work today. I'm working for you. Doing some things here at home. I'm doing it for you. I'm at church helping people. Doing it for you. Doesn't matter what rewards I get from anybody. What matters is I'm doing it for you. This is how I serve you. And I thank you that you are Rewarding me. You give me bonuses all the time. You pay me well. Glory to God. Father, we thank you that we can be those who exemplify, to testify about you. Not those who magnify the faults of others, but those who exemplify the wonderful nature of our God. His forgiveness, His love, His care. You've called us to be leaders in this world. Not bosses, not ones who just make demands, but ones who lead. I thank you, Father, for the help that you give us. To become those leaders. Become those ones that we see in the Word of God, like Moses and David and Joseph and Abraham and Paul and Peter and John and so many others. Just showed such an example such a love, such a care. Not into it for what I get. We're always talking about we, us. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. You have put a love in us for people. And we serve you by helping them. So thank you for the help that you give us. To bring them about the place that they ought to be. In the name of Jesus.